And I thought about it and I think, and I thought, wow, you know, it, it had to have been God's word that, that, you know, told me that, you know, I am called and obviously with my, my parents as well encouraging in that. And I thought about it and I thought, you know, um, God's word, it's a living word. It's not a dead word. Right. You know, it's not just ink on paper, mm. but it's actually living. It's spirit. And so as I'm quoting that, as I'm memorizing it and you know, saying it over and over again, it's, it's doing something in my mm. heart and in my life. Welcome, everyone. Today we are blessed to be joined by the First Lady of the Pentecostals of Sydney and the UPCA, Robin Harvey. She is a wonderful woman of God who was raised in a pastor's home and has been around ministry or involved in ministry for most of her life. In our conversation, we talked about her upbringing, how she ended up in a Pentecostal church after being raised Methodist, what it's like being the wife of a pastor, her tips for women's ministry leaders, and much more. As you're currently listening, you're probably not following. Following us is the best way to stay connected and not miss an episode. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, look to the top right for the plus sign. Also, subscribe to us on YouTube to check out our video content. Now, let's get to the conversation. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for opening up your beautiful home so we could record here instead of the dungeon of the church stage. (laughs) (laughs) It ends up being so dark up there, even though the lighting's nice, but... Here it just feels more open and uh, yeah, exactly. And you being an interior designer, you were um, suffering through me setting up here. Oh, nice. <laughs> All good. <laughs> well, uh, we've been trying to organize this for a bit, and I'm glad that we were able to finally get the calendars aligned. Um, but as you know, the way we tend to start these podcasts is just to uh, get an idea, a bit of the guests for the audience, so they know a little bit more about you. So if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about your background, where you come from, that sort of thing, just so we get a bit of an idea of your worldview. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, Okay, so, you know, as you know, my cultural heritage is um, Fijian. Mm -hmm. Um, I was actually born here. Um, I am the last of uh, four children. Um, Okay, so my parents, we migrated here um, to Australia back in the 70s. -hmm. So my, my father was a pastor, both yeah. my parents, um, and they, my, my dad actually came to Geelong um, back in 1976 um, to study at the Theological College. Okay. It was Theological College. And yeah. so from there it kind of opened up opportunities for him to um, be offered a placement to come and pastor here oh. in Australia. So... He left my mother and my siblings. Obviously, I'm not born at this time. Um, so this is like the story that I'm getting from, yeah, yeah, yeah. from my sisters. And so um, he came back uh, to Fiji, was kind of going back and forth and organising the visa papers and things until he brought my whole family over. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, in 1977, um, he was asked to pastor a church in Maitland. Wow. So, so that's, that's, is that, that's regional... Yes. Regional, yeah. In New South Wales? Wales? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. So it's, I think it's part of the Newcastle LGA. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. So, um, so 1977, he um, pa- pastored the church. Um, it was an all Australian <laughs> congregation. Uh, we actually made the papers. 
yeah. um, a couple of articles uh, of the local papers saying, you know, uh, the first non-Australian um, minister mm. of religion to pastor an all-Australian um, church wow. congregation. So we have new newspaper clippings um, of, of that. So you can imagine, you know, Australia back in the <laughs> 70s, that it would have been, you know, quite a stir maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right, so... Um, so my, you know, my siblings obviously have uh, lots of memories of growing up in Maitland, um, suburbs like Barora, Yalambi um, Heights and things. So I only, you know, tend to hear all the stories about mm-hmm. it. So then I was born in 1978. So my, t- my recollection is very, yeah, it, it's actually non-existent <laughs> until we moved um, from Maitland to the inner west of Sydney. So we moved to Haberfield. Okay. Um, this is where I did all my schooling. Um, my brother and I, we attended, you know, Haberfield Demonstration Public School um, from K to year six, and then um, I went to high school in Burwood Girls. So um, we grew up in the inner west um, suburbs of Sydney. If I could afford to go back <laughs> there, I would. Uh, but Southwest will have to do for me. Um, so I kind of, yeah, so that's that's basically my background. And so... Um, when I was in uh, about 11 years old, I think, my dad was actually asked to, to return back to Fiji and to pastor in a province called Tailevu. Okay. And so because I was the youngest, um, obviously I had to go back with my parents. So we went back, I went back for two years with them. Um, they were stationed at, uh, in a village called Vungale, which was where uh, Brother Sam, uh, Sister Sala actually mm. um, is from. And at that time, um, you know, I attended the international school in Suva uh, for the first year. And then the second year, because my parents wanted me to pick up the language, um, because, you know, we understood Fijian all my life. Yeah. Um, my parents communicated to us in, in the home in Fijian, but we would always answer, respond back in, in, in English. English yeah. and, and they weren't strict or anything to say, you know, oh, you know, you should be responding in <laughs> Fijian or whatever. So... Um, he decided, my, my dad decided to put me into a Fijian school mm-hmm. um, in the town of Nosori. And uh, part of their curriculum is that you have to learn the language, which is vernacular. Yeah. Um, and so it was there that I began to pick up the language. And because I already had the understanding of it, it was quite easy, mm-hmm. you know, for me to begin to speak it. And obviously, you know, staying with my auntie for a year, um, yeah, they always spoke to me <laughs> Fijian as well. So... My brother would tease me and say, um, you know, oh, you came back from Fiji and you had this thick Fijian accent, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, whatever. <laughs> yeah, so I, I picked up the language there and, you know, it's very broken now. You know, my, my Fijian is terrible, but, um, yeah, I do actually need to fix it up <laughs> a little bit. But um, just remembering back in, in that vernacular class, um, I remember being, like, quite fearful, you know, going in there because, you know, obviously it was a, ba- a barrier for me. Right. And if we did not respond back to the teacher in Fiji, and we would get reprimanded for it. So we would, like, have to hold out our fingers <laughs> like this. No way. And literally, like, get the cane for oh it. Oh, my goodness. You know? And so... That really made me study mm-hmm. um, Fijian language. I had to make sure that I was not going to get, you know, get a hiding or, or um, get reprimanded for it. So it's it's not the in- easiest language to study as well because there isn't a lot of um, resources for yeah, learning Fijian. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine back then as well. But yes. like I've tried, like my daughter, um, her boom boom tutu teacher right. some Fijian words, and so we try and help her learn it a bit more or help yeah. her to learn more. Yes. It's nowhere. You, you look on Google and you can't even... It's not even on right. Google Translate right. Fijian, yes. so... 
Yeah, that's true. I can imagine what that was like. Probably a good thing would be the Bible. Oh, yeah, get <laughs> the they, Fijian Bible. Yeah, yeah, Fijian Bible, I think that's probably a good way to learn it. Mm-hmm. But um, I think because I'm Fijian already and, you know, I hear the language every day, I think that's why it was much, much easier for me mm. to pick up and, and to learn and stuff. So yeah. um, going back to my, my parents pastoring um, in that church, um, you know, I in that time I just, you know, I saw my, my parents being used mightily of God. Um, you know, we, we were kind of like came into this village where witchcraft was, you know, was steeped in witchcraft. Mm. And, you know, I just, my dad was like a really strong Christian, um, you know, powerful man of God. You know, when, whenever he ministered, you know, people would just be so impacted by his ministry and stuff. And um, so when he was in that village, I, I witnessed, you know, miracles, <laughs> signs wow. and wonders, you know. Uh, God really used my dad mightily. And um, back then, because he was a pastor, I, I could say that he was like a radical, mm. a radical Christian because he actually, um, by the time we left that village, he had baptised um, the entire village. Wow. Yes. And you can imagine the controversy that was mm. back in the headquarters <laughs> yeah. um, of the Methodist church and stuff. And so he came up against a lot of opposition as well as he was like you know quite loved and respected um, by the community, um, a lot of people also came against him, and so um, yeah. So just growing up seeing that was just something that's impacted me, right? And my Christian walk mm. and our current role, yeah, of course, as yeah. Well, so yeah. Did you have any interests growing up um, outside of? I mean, because you're in between two cultures, right? You're right. born and raised in Sydney, but then also spent a few years. How long? How many years did you end up in Fiji? I was there for two years. Two years, and then came back to yes. Sydney. Yes. So what were your sort of interests growing up uh, as a kid? Uh, my interests, I guess, um, like any other kid, like, you know, love sport. Mm-hmm. <laughs> love sport, love hanging out with my friends, you yeah. know, movies, those sorts of things. Yeah. That the kind of interest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess just your, your regular kind of uh, kid activities like yeah. <laughs> being a pastor's kid as well yeah, which isn't easy yeah, yeah definitely um definitely felt the pressures of uh, growing up in in a pastor's home as well you know there's certain expectations that people place on you that you mm. have to you know oh you know that's the pastor's daughter you know she should be shouldn't be seen at certain places or yeah. You know, things like that so I definitely did feel the pressure uh, um, growing up in a pastor's home but um yeah, I didn't let it affect me, mm. you know, too much. Yeah. I think I have my own mind and, you know, my kind of – I think I'm strong, strong-willed strong in, in that sense that, you know, I can have my own ideas and, you know, kind of not be too swayed yeah. by people's opinions or, or thoughts about me. So even at that young age, kind of when I think about it now, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's great because yeah. that can really be a pitfall for pastors' yeah, kids, for absolutely. ministers' kids. But so you made your way back to Sydney, and then ultimately you found yourself at GT, GTCC, right. or now as Pentecostals of Sydney. How did you how did you end up getting there? How did you find yourself there? Because your your dad's a Methodist minister, right. so that wouldn't have um, necessarily been something you would just do. Yeah, well, actually, um, okay, so when I uh, turned about 17, so I, I did all, you know, your, your usual teenage things that you get up to, partying, the drinking, the smoking, all of that sort of stuff. I started quite early. and But I also kind of fell out of that scene quite early as well. Mm. I felt like 
there was, you know, that, that void that we talk about. There's this void that you feel like there's an emptiness. You know, your life has no purpose. Right. You know, there's got to be something more mm. to life. I, I, I came to that at the, at the age of 17. Um, you know, I was kind of, you know, just doing my own thing with my friends and things. And so I was kind of looking for something a little bit more meaningful and, and deep. And so I made that huge decision to leave my church um, I was very involved in my youth group there, uh, you know, obviously my parents um, being the elders um, of the church and, and I grew up in that, that's all I knew. Um, but I, I made that decision to leave because my desire to find something deeper overread everything else, mm. even even my friendships. Wow, yeah. And yeah, when, when I think back at that, I'm thinking, wow, like for a teenager to kind of make that decision, mm. I mean, that's a huge thing. Oh, yeah. as, as teenagers, we're quite, you know, influenced by our friends and things like that. So um, so for that year of when I turned 17, for that 12 months, I actually went church hopping. Mm. Um, I attended a couple of different other churches uh, with my older sister, who was also kind of searching at that time as well. And at this point, uh, my brother, Mo. Um, he was already attending Grace Tabernacle okay. Christian Centre. Yeah. And so, you know, he would have these conversations with me, you know, oh, Rob, you need to come. Like, you need to come to this church. You know, it's awesome. You know, the music's great and the preaching. And I'd be so put off by his <laughs> zealousness, I think. <laughs> well, he, he was also arguing with your dad at this he point was, as well. Yeah, yeah, he definitely was. Like, you know, we'd have, him and my dad would have like these debates, you know, theological <laughs> yeah. debates, you know. And my dad would look at him and think, you know, well, who's, who's the theologian yeah, here? Yeah, the one who actually went to Bible exactly. school and been exactly. pastoring. Exactly. Yeah. So um, I think my brother's approach in Bible bashing us, I have to say it's Bible bashing because that's basically <laughs> what he was doing. Um, it probably wasn't, you know, the most favourable, you know, approach because um, I, I didn't swallow it mm. very well. So I, did, I didn't want to come, come to his church for a long time. And so as God was, you know, working on me and, you know, working through me, um, he actually invited me to a youth camp, mm. which was the April, you know, annual uh, youth camp. And so I thought... Um, you know, maybe I should go. Yeah. He, he was telling me, um, I think the carrot that he kind of, you know, hung out to me was, um, Sarah's going to be there. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, all right, I know Sarah. <laughs> okay, it's not like I'm not going to know anybody yeah. there, but at least if Sarah's there, then, you know, I'll have a friend there. So I said yes. And so um, that at that youth camp, it was Brother Jason Sisko. Um, he was the guest wow. speaker. Yeah. Yeah. So, Talk wow. about a baptism yes. by fire. Talk about <laughs> <laughs> So that was like, that was amazing. Mm. Like I just remember from the first service, he preached about um, his trip with Brother Billy Cole mm. to um, Ethiopia. And so he'd be preaching about it and telling us the stories and the faith that was just, you know, stirring. And you can imagine the atmosphere mm. in that little, you know, hall at, at Kuma. Um, it was electric. You know, the atmosphere was... I had never, ever felt anything like it because, you know, I had no idea about the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Didn't, you know, I didn't grow up in this, you know, apostolic <laughs> kind of culture. And, and so um, it was just electrifying. And I thought, man, this is what I've been looking for. And I had such a peace, like, you know, in my heart. And I knew that I was in the right place at the right time. You know, this is what I've been searching for. 
you know, this is it. This is it for me. This is my turning point. And so um, after the three days of, um, you know, amazing altar calls, I think I was just laying flat on my face at the altar. I received the Holy Ghost at this camp as well. And uh, probably about maybe a week after we had returned from this camp, um, I got baptised at GTCC, Grace Tabernacle. So... Um, yeah, and it's 28 years later, and I'm still here today. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's it was amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. So, were, were you actually baptized? You were baptized in the Campsy location. I was. See, so okay. Yes. Uh, in the in that old uh, brick. Brick. Yes. Brick. Yeah. Yeah. With uh, very cold. Well, was it during winter or summer when you got baptized? Do you remember? It was in April, so that's autumn. Yeah, so it wouldn't yeah, have been so that cold. It would have been yeah. okay. It was cold. <laughs> Winter baptisms were a bit rough. It was, <laughs> yes, yes. And we didn't have those waterproof baptism uh, gowns back back then. So. <laughs> oh, wow. That's yeah. awesome. Well, yeah. uh, and then you uh, at some point felt a call to ministry beyond, you know, you, as you said, p- part of this whole process was that you were searching for more. Right. Uh, and not just... More, you come from a pastor's home. You know what it's like to have a relationship with God, to pray, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But you wanted, there was a desire beyond that. And I'm assuming that would be like what we would describe as a call to ministry or a call to service, a call to more purpose. When did you actually feel that and connect the dots to God actually wants more Mm -hmm. for me in my life? Was it at that camp? Um. I guess, yeah, I think it, it solidified at that camp. I always felt, um, as you said, you know, because I was, um, I grew up in, in a pastor's home in a Christian environment. I, I always knew that I was called of God, mm. that I was going to do something for God, but I just didn't know what it was. Yeah. Um, and I guess the way that I knew that was because growing up, we would have devotions mm. every night. You know, you'd get a hiding if you <laughs> if you missed it. You had to be there. <laughs> so um, my dad would um, would make us um, memorize scriptures, and so every week uh, we would have to memorize a scripture. If we said it word for word, you know, quoted the the, the book, the verse, and the scripture, then we would get you know a sweet. Oh, nice. <laughs> you know, a, a chocolate, whether it be a chocolate or you know those python, you know, snakes or whatever, and so. Um, even though for us as, as kids, even though, you know, I didn't have a relationship with God. Mm. You know, I knew of God, but I didn't know him for myself. I didn't, yeah. you know, have a relationship with him. And so I believe that through through those um, those devotions and through that teaching that my dad had instilled in us, you know, to, to memorize the word of God, God's word was working in my heart, mm. you know, even back then. Yeah. And I thought about it and I think and I thought, wow, you know, it it had to have been God's word that that, you know, told me that, you know, I am called and obviously with my my parents as well encouraging in that. And I thought about it and I thought, you know, um, God's word, it's a living word. It's not a dead word. Right. You know, it's not just ink on paper, mm. but it's actually living, it's spirit. And so as I'm quoting that, as I'm memorizing it and you know, saying it over and over again, it's it's doing something in my mm. heart and in my life. And yeah. so I, I would have to say that, yes, I definitely knew that I was called of God, just didn't know what it was. And I guess coming to to church, coming to um, th- that youth camp and, you know, looking back and you seeing all these little, mm. you know, little moments where God was just actually leading me to where I am today, I yeah. guess. 
but I would never have imagined it from you know 17 <laughs> 17 years old you know, yeah like, where I am now like I grew up in a minister's home as well right. and and it's as you say you feel that call um, you feel to be involved for the most part, unless you re- completely reject it. Right. If you have an open heart, you kind of have that feeling. But then there's also, like for me, there was a trigger point at the age of 12 and where I felt that there was something different. And then another trigger point at 16 where it was like, okay, you're going deeper in your commitment. Right. That's when I made the decision to go to Bible school. So, yeah, I can see that that you would have that ongoing, especially if your parents are s- sowing the seed, right. you're doing the devotions, reading the word, yeah. um, but there's that trigger moment, which was that youth camp where, where you took that step. What advice would you give uh, a young person or someone who is feeling the call to ministry to, to do something beyond just attending church, to do something for the kingdom of God? What advice would you give them if they're taking those first steps? Yeah. Um, I guess I would say um, encourage them to, to pray about it, obviously. Prayer is first and foremost. Um, it's in prayer where God can speak to you. And, you know, maybe give you direction and, and lead you. So if you have those desires, um, you know, look look to the Word of God. See that it aligns with God's Word as well. And I would recommend that you speak to your pastor or a trusted leader, um, someone that you trust, you know, that can that has your well-being, mm. you know, um, at heart, but that they're able to give you direction because... With pastors and leaders, you know, and well, especially from a pastor's uh, standpoint, you know, God's um, put him there mm. as your spiritual, you know, leader to, to be able to give you godly wisdom from the Word of God. So I would um, encourage them to, yeah, approach the leader definitely and, and pray about it. And that way, you know, your pastor can pray with you and mm. for you yeah. as well and give you some direction in those next steps to take. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And, and as you communicate with your leader as you communicate with a mentor or a pastor they're going to help you in that process and you know you're not going to be doing it all on your own right. but there's that guidance yes. there yeah. yeah that's good we've already talked about it a bit uh, quite a bit actually your upbringing because it plays such a huge part of your life growing up in a pastor's home mm-hmm. that experience that you had uh, in sydney and fiji and then back to sydney how did that prepare you for pastoring the POS? I remember when I first moved here, which is how I uh, gauge my timeline in life was when I first come to Australia. But uh, you and your husband were elected as pastors in 2009. You're quite young, right? How, how old were you when you two were elected? Good question. Um, I think I was 30. You would have been early 30s. 33, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same age as me. Yes. And... and um, <laughs> So you were in elected as pastors. How did that experience that you had in your home with your parents growing up, how did that prepare you for the calling that God had on uh, you and your husband? Okay. Um, I think it, like growing up, yeah, in a pastor's home, um, actually kind of made me not want to become <laughs> a pastor. I could imagine. Wife, yeah, I could right? definitely yeah. imagine that. Um, because, you know, every day I would you know, witness my parents deal with people. Um, you know, my father would be up at 3 a.m. every morning praying. I would be woken up with, you know, him just pacing pacing the lounge room praying. And he would be praying for people in the church, you know, different circumstances, you know, different issues, marriages, families, you know, individuals. And 
you know, I would see, and, and I remember when I used to hear his voice, I'd just like kind of get the pillow and <laughs> cover my ears and like, oh gosh, I just think about sleep. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I did witness a lot of um, times where, you know, they were going through quite challenging um, moments as well, you know, dealing with, you know, difficult people and um, trying to, you know, resolve conflicts and things like that. So um, that actually kind of made me not want to. Yeah. And right. and I didn't even, to be honest, I, I never even dreamed or thought of, you know, wanting to become pastors. Yeah, I, I always say that because I've, I've worked so closely with you and your husband right. for the last 14 years yes. and uh, experiencing what you guys experience on a, on a weekly basis, sometimes daily right. basis. Yes. Um, I, I always say to people, if you want to be, a pastor, you need to spend some time with a pastor, right. <laughs> with a pastor's family, and figure out if that's actually uh, a real calling, because it has to be a real calling, because yeah. preaching, leading a church, uh, what you see on a Sunday yeah. is the bare minimum of what you all are experiencing, what you're going through uh, week to week, and yeah, I, I always say that. It's like, after spending 14 years with you guys, it's like, mm, I don't know if I want a pastor. <laughs> Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely um, not for the faint heart. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, definitely um, I did not want to become, you know, a pastor. But um, obviously, you know, God had other plans for us. Um, I remember when we were first elected um, as well, I thought, you know, Lord, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> My husband's an evangelist. He's not a pastor. <laughs> and, you know, um, early on in our marriage, um you know, Stan would say, oh, you know, I, I think I'm called to be a pastor, like, mm. eventually. Eventually, yeah. To. And I would always say to him, nah, I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> I don't think so. I, mm. I think you're an evangelist. Because yeah. at that time, he was an evangelist. Mm. He was traveling to, you know, different um, parts parts of the world um, evangelizing. And so I thought, you know, this is our life now. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to be an evangelist's wife, minister's wife. I'm happy with that. Like, mm. you know, and I'm still working, you know, in my secular job um, and things. And But, um, you know, the, obviously the Lord has the final say yeah. you know, in the plan that he has for our lives. And, you know, we don't always – well, he sees the end from the beginning. We don't. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I guess um, it. growing up in a pastor's home definitely – prepared me <laughs> yeah, I wonder what those first what the first few months were, were like with with you and your husband when you yeah. took over because you would have actually been able to help him a lot because yes. I mean obviously he was an assistant pastor before so he and he had been um quote-unquote pastoring while Bishop uh, was unwell Bishop Schlack was yeah. sick so he and uh Sister Gretch they were sort of sharing the right. pastorate there for a bit mm-hmm. so he was a he was well prepared I guess but you would have also been able to help during those beginning stages of pastoring the Pentecostals of Sydney. Yes, definitely. And I guess our church was going through a transition. That's true. Yeah. Well with um, Bishop being quite unwell and, you know, um, we had, you know, some situations that yeah. were happening at that time as well. So it was all hands <laughs> yeah. on deck, you know, yeah. all hands in. We had to um, kind of fill in mm-hmm. the gaps that were left and we really had to together yeah i remember like I, thinking back to it when, when it was actually happening it didn't really cross my mind because right. i was 20 yeah. 21 years right. old right. our team was so young yes like <laughs> when you two took over the team was so young yeah you know, yeah i was the administrator at 20 21 right. yes. i think 21 and then uh steph she was a worship leader a couple years after that at like 21 22 
and a lot of the leadership team is still there. Like yes. a lot of the leadership team of our church is still there, but rewind 12 years and, and look where we were. So yeah. it's amazing, but it's so amazing. God has had his way, right? He has. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and so, um, I guess digging a little bit deeper in, into this question, because we do have a lot of uh, ministers' wives, pastors' wives uh, that that listen to the podcast that are going through seasons that you have experienced. Mm-hmm. What are some of the challenging things that 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 you would see when it comes to to being a pastor's wife or to when it comes to pastoring mm-hmm. a church? What are some of the challenges that you have faced? I guess um, when we first became pastors, um, I think one of my uh, greatest challenges was the expectations mm. that were pl- suddenly placed on me. Mm. I mean, there's always there's already an expectation that's placed if you have a position. Right. You know, we were ministers. There's already that expectation. If you hold a position, then you know there's a certain you know kind of um, ideal. Yeah, there's a standard that people have mm. have of you, and so even more so that when we became the pastors, because and I also because we were quite young as well as you were saying. So I felt too young for the position, (laughs) number one, and too inexperienced, secondly. Um, And I guess I kind of cracked underneath those unrealistic expectations that people had of me and the ones that I had of myself. Mm. Yeah, because you would have placed them on yourself. Yeah, exactly. And it's not like people, you know, came to me and said, oh, you know, you're the pastor's wife, you should be doing this or that. But, you know, there were comments that Mm. were made here and there that kind of, you know, and and you knew that okay, people are watching me right now, kind of thing. But um, I think yeah, that that was the hardest to deal with the unrealistic expectations. Now that we've been in the role for you know some years now, you know I don't kind of struggle with those with those sorts of things now. Um, the second one I would say a, another challenge would have been um, setting boundaries. Mm. I'm that. My personality type anyway is kind of yes, yes, yes. Yes to everything. If you ask me to do this, I'll say yes. I can't really say no. Um, but now 14 years in, <laughs> <laughs> no is like almost a favourite word <laughs> that I can actually say now uh, without feeling bad about it or because, you know, I'm setting boundaries in my life. So the boundaries of people's expectations also, it's like, okay, you're the pastors, you need to help us. Mm. This is what God's put you there for. Yeah, you have to do this. Right, yes. Mm. And so um, it's, you know, that expectation of, you know, it's 24-7 thing. You know, I can just ring my pastor and, you know, they'll they'll drop everything Mm. to come and, you know, come to my rescue or something. There's going to be those times where we get the 1 a.m. call, the 2 a.m. call, you know, someone's got suicidal thoughts. Um, You know, there's been an emergency. Someone's been rushed to hospital. Someone's passed away. Those are unavoidable right. life circumstances that we kind of have to deal with. But if it's my dog ran away or... <laughs> or if like a couple's or, in know, a fight or something. I can't sleep and, you know, I need someone to talk to. Yeah. I'm, I'm setting boundaries. Has that actually happened? It has happened, Oh, yes. my goodness. Yes. yes. It's happened more times than I can say. Oh, my goodness. Um, but it's just about, you know, protecting your boundaries mm. as well because very easy to get burnt out. Mm. As a pastor, if you feel like, because you feel like God's put you there to, to help people, to, you know, to minister to them and also to counsel them, it's very easy to kind of, um, you know, fall into that, oh, but, you know, Lord, you know, because you're a God of love. and <laughs> I have to show love. I have to be yeah, Christian. Yeah. Absolutely. But it's, it's so important to play, you know, put boundaries yeah. around your ministry, around your family life. Mm. 
um, as well because people like to take. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're, we're constantly giving, 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 mm. and people are taking, taking, yeah, taking. Dr. Marshall talked about that when, right. when we were on, and she was, she was saying something along the same lines, that there are people that are constantly going to, you know, want something from you yes. or – um, I, she, I think she called them emotional vampires right. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like you know you you have to you feel obligated right. uh if you're a leader or a pastor and she's like you don't you don't have to feel obligated yeah. uh god's called you for a reason for a purpose right. he has a plan for your life and it and it doesn't solely revolve around others yes. right yes yeah. and that took me a long time to realize as well um but I've I've realized now, and so yeah, it's, it's just that that was one of the biggest challenges for me as well. So we talked uh, about the challenges. What is most rewarding when it comes to leading a church? When it comes to pastoring, what would you find is the rewarding part of it? I guess seeing people saved, because I mean that's why God's placed us here, right? Mm. He's given us this great commission. To, to go out into all the world, you know, preach the gospel, you know, um, baptizing them in the name you know, G- Jesus Christ. And so to see that being fulfilled in our services or not even in our services when they, they're going through Bible studies, and mm. things, I think that's the greatest joy because we know that we are um, actually fulfilling the purpose that God has, you know, p- placed us here on this earth. And there's no greater reward than seeing you know, a, a, a lamb, a new lamb in Christ being nurtured right through to, you know, being involved in ministry or, you know, and, and that brings me great joy. Yeah, and you've gotten to the stage in in pastoring the Pentecost of Sydney that you're seeing that a lot more, you know, people that you've yes. poured into for the last yes. 10 or so years, you're Definitely. starting to see fruit. It's like your investments are like, you know, <laughs> You're back. starting to get yeah. returns, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That's so cool. Yeah. Uh, so along with, with pastoring, uh, you lead the women's ministry yeah. at the POS. You've been doing that for 10 years now. Um, can you speak to the importance of having a women's ministry department or at least having, maybe not necessarily a department, but having uh, an avenue where women can be ministered to? Yeah, I, I definitely, you know, I am for women's ministry. Definitely um, believe that it plays an important role um, in the church. Um with uh, leading, you know, Wow Thirty One, you know, I never ever thought that I would be, you know, a women's <laughs> women's leader. I remember I used to try to avoid going to um, <laughs> going to to women's ministry things, but um, but I thought, you know, as I've grown grown in the role as well, um, you know, obviously we know that that men and women, you know, we're hardwired very differently, mm. being created very differently, and, and we have different needs. Although we complement each other as well, men and women, um, there are just some issues that are specific to women, mm-hmm. and also you know men as well. They have um, you know um, issues that are specific to them. And I think with women's ministry, it's it's a forum or it's a space that we're able to address those women specific you know mm. issues. I think it's a, a space where women can come together. We can connect. And as women, not so much with men, but with friendships, like that's a huge thing for us because, you know, women, we like to talk, we like to chat, we like to, you know, catch up for, you know, a, a girly catch up or whatever. Um, and it's it's a great place where we can um, connect, especially with the newer people in the mm-hmm. church. Yeah. Because I, I do try to encourage our older women to invite 
the newer ones to come and to try and take them under their wing. And, um, you know, because while, while 31 Ministries, which is, you know, Women of Worth, 31, which is um, the POS Women's Ministry, our focus is to disciple, to train and to equip our, our ladies to, to live victoriously for Jesus because mm. that's, that's what we're all trying to do, right? We're all trying to live um, victoriously for God. Right. We're trying to live out our God-given purpose. We try to, you know, live our lives um, so that we are successful in being Christians, successful Christians and um, successful women as well in God. So Wow 31 is geared towards that. I gear our sessions to address some of those issues and obviously a huge spiritual component is put there. I like to focus also on the physical because I mm. believe that the physical affects the spiritual yeah, and vice versa, true. the spiritual affects the, the physical. Yeah. So we try to balance our sessions to meet the physical and also the spiritual aspect. And, um, yeah, it's just it's, it's a great, you know, it's a great ministry to have and, and it's so important. It's mm. so important for our women to, to be able to, you know, have, have their own space because – it's not enough just to come on Sundays because, yeah. you know, Sunday preaching is for the whole church. It's for everybody. Yeah. Exactly. It's for the whole church, you know, and, and that's a great thing. But then, um, you know, it's at, at sessions like this where we're able to kind of hone in and be able to focus on those, you know, yeah. certain, you know, different issues or, or things that, you know, pertain to women. Some of those issues could be like, you know, self-esteem. We struggle with – I mean, men do as well, but, uh, you know, with – Weight, weight gain, health, fitness, you know, well, uh, wellness, mental health. We're able to address all of those things in mm. a, you know, female-friendly yeah. <laughs> kind of um, environment. Do, do you have any other pointers for a woman, a women's leader? You, you've already noted uh, mm. a number in how you tend to gear the sessions and, right. and that sort of thing. But do you have any further advice that you would give a women's leader? Okay. Um, yeah, definitely. I think... No matter what size your church is, I think um, having a committee <laughs> is key. Um, I believe, you know, two, three, four, whatever, heads are better than one. Mm. Okay, so um, if you get, like, a good committee under you, and I, I say, like, be prayerful of those people that you select and that you choose to be on your committee. Look out for things like, you know, someone that's prayerful, someone that might be, you know, very friendly and hospitable, someone that could be great with administrative skills, um, someone that's a people connector. And you want all those gifts, you know, to be able to uh, deliver like a whole kind of, mm. you know, a whole approach yeah. um, for your women or for any ministry really. Um, so I would say, yeah, be prayerful about the people that you select in your committee and, you know, get your ideas from there. Get it, you know, try to inspire your committee as well to, you know, get behind this ministry and to really invest into people because that's what it's all about. It's about right. relationships, right? Mm. It's about connecting with people, building those relationships, rapport with, with people and, and getting them to, you know, feel like they have a sense of belonging, that they belong to, you know, something that's alive. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the church is... They're not just coming right? to tick a box, but, no, but it's something that they right. want to be at. It's not just, you know, somewhere to come kind of hang out. Yes, we have fun. Yes, you know, we, we um, enjoy each other's companies and stuff, but there's a greater, yeah. there's, there's a bigger, you know, picture, there's a yeah. bigger plan behind all of this. And so, um, number one, I would say, you know, get a good committee under you. And I guess the second one would be, you know, just to, to build it up through there, obviously through prayer and fasting, you know, all, all the 
the fundamentals of mm-hmm. you know how we work and and stuff so build it up from there and um and then you know get a feel for your women as well in the church um i would say like you know and sometimes it's harder in in a bigger church the size of pos that i can't have a relationship with every single woman yeah. in the church it's just impossible it's not possible yeah it's yeah. impossible i can't but i do try to to meet you know, with you know, two or three women throughout the week that I can introduce myself to them, especially if they're new, and, um, you know, and try to build rapport, you know, try and find out, you know, what's happening in their lives, you know, if they're, you know, willing to open up. Mm. And I try to gauge, you know, what sort of issues they're facing um, in their life. They're all at different seasons. Everyone's at different seasons in their life and their walk with God. And that is where I kind of get the feel of, Okay, what sessions? This, this mm. is some of the issues that some of our women are facing right now. Let's let's gear our sessions towards this. Yeah, I love that. That's that's good. I love also the the fact that you highlight discipleship yeah. as part of this. You know that, and that's one of the key focuses of our church. And, yes. and I think that should be the focus of every church is discipleship. So every thing that you're doing, every ministry, every event should be pointing in that direction. How are we discipling them? What are we doing here? to develop them to become, as you said, victorious women, victorious Christians. Right. That's really good. Uh, I love that. Um, well, as we're wrapping up here, I like to ask this question to every person who comes on the podcast so no one escapes it. Uh, <laughs> what is it that is that driving force for you when it, when it comes to ministry, when it comes to pastoring, when it comes to leading? What is it that is that driving force for you? Okay. I think ultimately the driving force... Um, behind me in ministry is the fact that Jesus is coming back, Mm. right? So that was when I first came into the church, Pastor Slack would preach, you know, and he would preach it all the time in his sermons that, you know, Jesus is coming back, he's coming back, we're in the midnight hour. And that's something that's just been, you know, ingrained in my heart that he's coming back. And this is 28 years later and I'm thinking, man, Lord, you are, we are in the final hours right mm. now. Um, you know, we need to see people being saved. They don't necessarily have to attend POS, but, you know, we, we need to, to be out there, you know, reaching the lost, you know, um, you know preaching the gospel and, and getting the salvation message out there. Time is running out. Mm. Our time is running out on this earth. And I guess that is the driving force behind me why we do what we do. Why do we do what we do? It's to try and get as many people as we can to heaven. Mm. I want to see my friends saved. I want to see my family saved. And I want them to say that I had something to do with that. Yeah. I had something to do with them being able to get to heaven. So that that would be the core mm. um, reason that, you know, that, that drives me in mm. ministry. Yeah, I mean, because if, if it wasn't about that, about winning the loss, reaching out yeah. to more people, then, you know, you could just be confident in your relationship with God and, yeah, and stay at home. And, and just and be comfortable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So but we're driven to do more. Yes. Amen. Well, I've really enjoyed uh, having you on the podcast. I've enjoyed this conversation. Thanks again mm-hmm. for providing your time and uh, for meeting with us here and speaking to to the podcast audience. And i like to finish off all these conversations by giving the guests the final word, a closing word. So if you wouldn't mind uh, taking us out from here, Sister Harvey, thanks again for your time today. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Thank you. 
I guess in closing, um, I thought about this when you had sent me the questions and I thought, you know, I think I would just share something that's been on my heart this week, um, something that I've been meditating upon. And this this week, um, as you mentioned before with POS, our, our, um, our theme for this year is deep, uh, mm. deep and wide. And so I have been thinking about the word of pursue and, and pursuing God. Okay, so deep in our relationship with God, wider in our reach. And I think it's, I, well, you know, God's really been speaking to me like these past few months that, you know, I, I need to pursue him. You know, I want, and I want that desire to, to always, you know, to, to pursue, to pursue God. And the word pursue means to follow after, you know, follow after somebody or follow after something. And I guess when we think of pursuing, you know, many people pursue different, many different things in life, whether that be pursuing happiness, pursuing, you know, a, a career, you know, pursuing, you know, fitness and health, um, you know, pursuing the, the perfect partner, <laughs> you know, husband or wife, um, you know, pursuing position or pursu- pursuing power as well. But, you know, and they're not bad things. All of these things are not bad. Um, but they will not give you fulfilment. Mm. They will not give you that that satisfying fulfilment that we are searching for as humans, right? Because we've been created with this void. It's a God void. Okay, so ultimately we we need God. <laughs> we need God in our life, and we will never be satisfied chasing after those things, mm. chasing after you know the pursuits um, in this world. And so, I guess I wanted to encourage you know every listener that that will be listening to this podcast is to pursue after God, pursue him, chase after him, you know, with all of your heart. You know, there's, when this life is over, none of that is going to matter. None of that is going to matter. It's only what you did for Christ and how you pursued after your relationship with God. That is all that's going to stand, you know, after this world and this life is over. So I just want to encourage us today, you know, pray, seek God this year, 2023, let it be your year of pursuing God, you know, 2023, let it be your year of fasting, of, you know, really, you know, seeking after God and what He wants in your life and where He wants you to be in your life. Because, you know, He's created us, you know, uh, for, for great things. You know, He had a vision in mind for us. You know, in the book of Jeremiah, He, he, he speaks to Jeremiah and He tells him, you know, He said, you know, I called you from the womb. You know, I, I create, and even before we were formed, God had us on his mind. You know, God chose us. And, you know, the Bible also tells us that, yes, we are called, but few are chosen. Now, what are you going to do with the calling you know, that God has placed upon you? Because we are all called, but what sets you apart is how you respond to the call. Okay, so that's what I want to, to leave with our, our listeners today, that, you know, pursue after God. Pursue after that that purpose that he has for your life and just seek after him like